Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Yes, very good morning to you on this Friday. What date is it? It's the 11th of December. We'll have a bit of fun today. We've got a big show coming up. Tim Zhu's going to join us, Boxing Phenomenon. He's going to have a chat to us. Looking forward to that. Jared Waitley, our very own, is going to headline SEN's Cricket Summer of Cricket, I should say, exclusive rights to the Summer of Cricket getting underway in Adelaide next Thursday. Really looking forward to that. GWS draftee Tanner Bruin is going to have a chat to us. Massive week for all the 59 draftees plus the rookies. That was the highlight of the week. I thought Melbourne City's Jenna McCormack, she's got a great story to tell, so we'll have a chat to her. Fox Footy's draft guru Matt Bomber is going to join us at 11. And Aussie runner Pat Tiernan broke the 10 K Australian record, if you do not mind, phenomenal what he has been able to achieve. But most importantly, um, it's your show, certainly for the first hour. We'll just hand it over to you, one 736 736 You can have your say on what's got your attention in the world of sport on the captain's run this morning. But as we always do, I, I do want to get the show underway with this. Yeah, it's not uh, footy season, but the AFL continues to dominate the sporting news cycle, which is an absolute credit to them, really, and the envy of every other Australia sporting code. Post the longest season in the history of the game did come the frenetic trade period, which we covered and we loved and we um, engaged in. Then it was the resumption of pre-season training this week. The cameras were all there. The draft, which certainly increases year on year in publicity and the build-up every year. I did see that Fox Footy recorded a record ratings in terms of the draft, which shows that the interest increases year on year. Then we had the rookie draft yesterday, and on the back of that, the AFL announced some rule changes for next season, including the floating fixture after round seven and a return to 20-minute quarters, which I think is magnificent um, news. But Stephen Hawking took over with a bang as the head of footy of the AFL in 2017. Now, prior to the 2019 season, we know that he introduced those nine rule changes, including the drastic move of dictating the player starting positions at centre bounces. He said, we have listened to our fans, the players, the coaches, the umpires and the clubs. The rule changes interpretations protect and respect the traditions of the AFL while progressing our game forward. We all want what makes it great. Free-following passages of play, one-on-one contests, and players having space to play on instinct. These changes are about giving players the best chance to play the best game and giving the fans more of what they love. 
Well, do you love it, fans? Do you love the changes to the game? Now, further to those nine changes, there's been a couple more introduced this year. The interchange cap will come down from 90 to 75 um, in a bid to increase fatigue and reduce congestion. And additionally, the man on the mark from an opposition kick-in will be dragged back to 15 metres and only permitted to move laterally or the team will be penalised 50 metres. Now, this week, there has been some loose reports of a wide-ranging independent review of the whole competition. It is the brainchild of Sydney chairman Andrew Pridham, and it has had some support from some clubs, including Hawthorne and their outspoken president, Jeff Kennett. If the review progresses, it's set to be independent and look at every aspect of the game and its immediate and long-term future, projecting forward for the next 25 to 30 years. What I do want to ask you, though... Pretend you're asked to be on the review. We've seen changes left, right and centre to the game. If you're on the review, what are you suggesting we do to make the game better now and into the future? one 736 736 I've got a few ideas. I reckon we need to increase the investment into umpiring talent pathways. I just don't think the standard of umpiring nor the depth of umpires is good enough and that must improve. The rookie list, as we saw yesterday, is an absolute rort. So Goldsack, Birchall, Gleeson, Townsend being on the rookie list is a joke. And we've also seen the draft system being a joke this year with the team that's deserving of the number one pick and in need of the best player. Not able to get that. I'd limit the rookie list to the age of 22 and uh, players that haven't played the game before. Player wages, I think, need to become public and a maximum contract length of any player should be five years. A team in Tassie and a National Reserves competition would also be a priority for me. If you're on the review, you get the call from whoever's heading up this review and they ask you to be on it, what are you suggesting? one 736 736 You can have your say right now. Some would say, leave the bloody game alone. That, that is a lot of the feedback that we get. But I've, I've, I'm okay with some changes to make the game better. I'm not sure the changes under Stephen Hawking in recent times have all been successful. And I think some things have been overlooked. But uh, I would love your thoughts this morning. How do we make the game of AFL better um, as they continue to dominate the n- new cycle? Paul is in Donvale. Good morning to you, Paul. Thanks for kicking us off this morning. Hey, how are you, Kano? Love listening to you, mate. I think I think we're actually going about these rule changes a little wrong. I'd li- I'd like to see a couple of changes, Kane. My first one, I'd like to see us go back to the count up clock. I don't know what was wrong with that for the first hundred years of the game, because by doing that, you're taking away the coach's ability to have the players chip the ball around, which I I think is is a major issue. Mm-hmm. Second one is game day. Now, this is this is nothing to do with what happens on the field, but it's what happens actually on the gra- What happens in the coach's box? How about the coach, the coach's assistant, a telephone to the bench, no computer, no handphones, no nothing? What was wrong with that for the first hundred odd years of the game? So, just taking a bit more power away from the coaches, Paul. You you think the game right now is over coach clearly? The game is coached now that these young, I fear for these young draft picks coming in because their natural ability, their instincts are coached out of them. 
absolutely. Would we look at Gary Ablett Senior today if he played today the way the way we do as being one of the great, probably greatest three players of all time if he played today? Because half the things he do, I guarantee mm. you, they'd be like, no, Gary, you can't do that. Play the percentages, which is what happens today. By taking all the computers away and their handphones and all of that access and just coach with an assistant on the day down to the bench and I, I let your runner go on the ground as much as he wants. I don't care about that. But I don't know what was ever wrong with that because I think you've stated yourself, a lot of these changes have happened because coaches will go more defensive. Now, if you take their, take all their statistics away from them, players will have to go back to playing instinctually, I think. Good on you, Paul. Uh, pretty thoughtful comment this morning. He's kicked us off. What changes, if any, would you make if you were said to be on this review, which was reported by Tom Brown's, uh, Channel 7's Tom Brown. Now, uh, whether how accurate the report is of a wide-ranging independent review, I'm not sure. But I am saying, hypothetically, if there is a review and you're asked to sit on it, how do we make the game better? I think, you know, we're into December. The AFL have announced further changes and the ones yesterday back to 20-minute quarter length I'm a massive fan of. It's not going to satisfy some of the players, including Patrick Dangerfield, who wanted shorter quarters. But... I think that is a move for the fans. And the other one I want to get your thoughts on as well is the floating fixture after round six. So up until round six, the date, the time, the venue, the broadcaster of the games will be announced. But after that, they're going to announce the games in terms of who's matching up against each other, but everything else will be left blank. Now, does that hurt the footy fan? Does that hurt the travelling footy fan? And there's hundreds of thousands of you that like to get your calendar out and plan your whole year, your social life, your travel, what games you're going to go to on the back of the AFL fixture. Does that make it really tough and harder to be a footy fan this year? I would love your thoughts on that as well. Robert is in Moorabbin. G'day to you, Rob. Hi. Yes, I wanted to talk about uh, tackling. Uh, Just... It appears now that Ruckman are protected because they're, they're, they're allowed to go up for the ball uh, one-on-one. But when you, when you go in for the ball on the ground, you're fair game. You can be tackled by three or four players. Why, why can't they just have one player tackling? We talk about the perfect tackle. Well, let's test the perfect tackle. It's a big issue, I think, Rob, is holding the ball and tackling. And the hard part is that um, a lot of people have different opinions on it. You know, prior opportunity, do we scrap it? Is it too much of a deterrent for the player that goes in and wins the ball, knowing that if they sit on it, they'll be penalised? But then others would say you have to reward the player going for the ball. That That is a tough issue for the AFL to solve. And I don't think it's probably ever going to be solved is holding the ball in our game. Thank you for your thoughts. Brett's on the line. Uh, g'day to you, Brett. G'day, mate. I've got a couple of things. One is at the um, I'd like to see at the start of any centre bounce that the players move back to their traditional positions so that there's space in the forward line and back line. They're not congregating down the column spine of each like they do at the moment. You might get 10 players all lining up in the middle of the the 50 trying to defend each other, if you separate and spread them a bit, I think you'd maybe get a bit more openness at the start of a game or at the start of each bounce. Hopefully that's so different. Allowed. So different, Brett, to so further restrictions than what we've got now with the starting positions. You want to see them 
actually like in the de- designated spot. So one yep. at Senar yep. Ford and two on the flanks. Yep, yep. Just to spread it open at the start of the game. So an early entry into the 50 gives you an opportunity to get maybe a one-on-one or at least not have a congregation of 10 players all lining up in a column up the middle of the ground and then you've yep. got congestion right at the very start. The other thing is in terms of that committee, I'd love to see Clarko get on there. Um, and I know a lot of people go, oh, bloody Clarko wants to change the game for himself. But it's not. If you listen to the way he speaks, his passion for the game and trying to improve it is absolutely exemplary. And they really do need to get him on there to listen to what he says, particularly around holding the ball um, and a few other things. He really has got a great idea and, and a great passion for the game and wants to see it get better, not to make it better for Hawthorne, but for better for everyone. Okay, some would say you're cynical and some would say when Clarko speaks, the AFL absolutely bow to everything that he says, as we saw on a couple of examples this year. But Brett wants Clarko on the review. Who should be on the review? If it's not you, who do we try? I think think Lee Matthews would be a good name that we could suggest and put forward to be on this review. I think he speaks with a lot of sense. But if you've got someone, send us a temper text. 0433981116. It is a mattress like no other. Uh, let's head to Fullerton and speak to Marty. Marty, good morning. Good morning. I haven't actually spoken to you, have I or not? I don't know. I'm not sure, Marty. Oh, welcome, though. What do you want to talk about the draft? Um, no, I want to first of all tell you that I met you in 2009 at Port's Mad Monday at the Hyde Park Tavern. Oh, that's dangerous. You weren't I, I, drinking. You don't drink, I know. <laughs> oh, I might have had a couple of quiet ones, Marty. I hope I hope us Port boys carried ourselves well, no, okay. No, we, 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 sorry, we, we played Knuckles. Oh, did we? Who won? And then, oh, you, I heard you think would win. And then Chad walked over and introduced me to you. And then Brenton Laid was there, Troy Chaplin and Toby Thurston's. Oh, good memories, Marty. You got a quick point on the draft? Yes, um, I think it's great that North Melbourne picked up Tommy Powell. And I also want to say something about Clarko. You remember the 2002 SANFL Grand Final? Yep. Sturt had not beaten Centrals all year, and they went in a massive underdog. And Brenton Phillips beat Clarko at his own game. And look at Brenton Phillips today. What's his position in the SANFL? Yeah, he's got a. He's involved in the talent pathways at the Sandful, but um, I think Clarko's gone on to do some pretty impressive things. Marty, thanks for your thoughts and reliving some of those dangerous memories. Tim is in Sunbury. What changes would you make, Timmy? G'day, Kane. Look, um, just in regards to the the ball up, um, I think the umpire should be able to throw it up. Um, keep the one player per per team. Pretty much the, the teams need to organise which player is going up so that we're still protecting the player. But if pretty much the umpire is not waiting for the ruckman to get around and just, just throws it up, um, it'll certainly make the game move along quicker um, and you're still protecting the player by only one player going up uh, from each team. Yeah, no, I think I think that is common sense. And I think most people would agree with you. We don't need Ruckman nominating. Like The fact that they haven't changed that rule is laughable. The AFL, I can't understand it. Just chuck it in and throw it up and that will ease the congestion. It makes absolute sense. It's a good point you make. Let's go to South Melbourne and speak to Mark. Mark, what are your concerns? Um, firstly, I'd like to wish you happy and it's been fascinating to listen to you all year. My Thanks, biggest Mark. concern that comes to... 
It comes down to grounds. That MCG is protected by certain clubs in the sense of your Collingwood, Richmond and Melbourne. I'm a St Kilda supporter and I would say Western Bulldog supporters be on the same page. I want to see St Kilda and Doggies play more games there because I really think when it comes to finals, it's a big question when you've only played two games there for the year. What are your thoughts? And then can I ask you, it's off a different topic, what do you think about the two Adelaide boys going to St Kilda, the rookie kid, and also... uh, Brad Crouch, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think the oh, Brad Crouch is going to fit in nicely. I, w- I wouldn't have given him the length of contract that they did, but uh, it's what you've got to pay. I, I hope he, I hope he realizes that what's required to be an AFL footballer and a successful one at the level. That's my hope for Brad, and I hope he has some success there at the Saints. In terms of the kids that were drafted, we just didn't get to, to see them play enough this year, so it's it's hard to comment. Mark, appreciate. Your contribution to our show this year, though, it's been it's been terrific. We'll quickly sneak in Jeff, who's in the ACT. Hey, Jeff, the AFL has released a floating fixture or going to release it. Does that affect your plans next year? Yeah, g'day, Kane. It, it does, mate. Um, uh, I'm a West Coast Eagles three-game multi-member in Canberra. And I, um, yeah, book and pay three return trips, accommodation, hire cars, you know, six to seven months ahead of time. So, yep. With a uh, floating fixture, that becomes somewhat problematic. I also do a couple of games to Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney as well. So, yeah, I spend probably five grand a year, although mm. not a corporate member, um, which will go out the window. Well, and I completely sympathise with you. It's It just goes to show that AFL is a completely made-for-TV product, which... Look, from a business point of view, you can understand, but what what makes it and the fabric of the game is the fans. And we all saw this year how poor the product is when there's no fans there. So it can't all be for TV. You have to look after the fans. And this decision yesterday, whilst I understand it, punishes the fans who have been so loyal to the game, like yourself, Jeff, and I can understand your frustrations. We're up and running on the captain's run. On the other side of this, it's early days, but... um, I've got a premiership favourite and I've put all of your teams into a certain tier, which I just created on the run yesterday. So I'll tell you what tier your team fits into. You can also have your say on the cricket as well. We're going to speak to our head of cricket here at SEN, Jared Waitley, ahead of the first test next Thursday. Carnage from an injury standpoint, who are they going to pick? We'll get Jared's thoughts on that. We're going to do some boxing. We're going to talk some uh, world game and some athletics this morning. We've got you all covered this morning, but most importantly, it's your calls. one 736 736 Yeah, it's 26 minutes after 9 o'clock. If you're listening to us on SEN in Adelaide, it's 4 minutes to 9. I did listen to Alex Carey speak yesterday, and he was asked about the former Joe Burns, who can't make a run. Uh, unfortunately, Joe can't seem to hit it off the square at the moment. And he said, well, he's hitting him well in the nets. And I laugh every time I hear that. And I want to get your thoughts on the saying sporting um, sports people should just not say. One of them is an out-of-form batsman who can't make a run in a game. He's hitting them well in the nets. 0433981116 is the temper text line. What saying should our sporting people put away for good? Hitting them well in the nets is one of those. Uh, Justin wants to speak about the rolling fixture, which was announced by the AFL yesterday. Your thoughts, Justin? 
Good, thanks. Uh, the guy from Canberra, who's a West Coast Eagles supporter, he's still going to know that in round I'm just 17, West Coast are playing whoever in mm. Perth or in round 16, and he said he books flights, accommodation and car hire. So you can still book all those things because you know, unless he's flying in half an hour before the game and flying out half an hour after the game, that's the only time you would need to know exactly the time of the game. But, 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 but isn't there a bit of a dif- sorry to cut you off? Isn't there a bit of a difference between a Friday night game in Perth as opposed to the graveyard shift on a Sunday twilight game? I mean, it's a, for someone who's got a job and needs to go to work and needs to plan things, it's it is a bit inconvenient, wouldn't you agree, Justin? But it is a bit inconvenient, but it's inconvenient, more inconvenient. All the other people that have to watch. I remember when they had St Kilda and Carlton playing Friday night games, yeah. the big skew, yeah. and it was just awful. I turned off footy mm. for that whole mm. slow. It was just awful. Um, so is it better off that inconvenience? And that would be a very, very small amount of people. Because I'm going to know that Collingwood in round 17, or Melbourne Storm, I can go and look at their picture and know that in round 17, we're playing the Sydney Roosters in Sydney. Um, but I'll, I don't know the time of the day but I'll know for the first six weeks. I'd prefer to have decent games of football on Friday night and Saturday night than, than a very small percentage of people inconvenient. You raise a good point, Justin, and this is this is the balance that the AFL have had to take into consideration. What I do feel, though, is, is for sympathy for those rusted-on fans who make their three road trips a year. You might be a Collingwood fan. We know have, they have a massive travelling contingent that love to go to the SCG once a year and they book it in. And, and the other thing, though, is, you know, your social life, your people plan weddings around the footy fixture. And it is the word, I think, is inconvenient. But I also get your point is that we want the best teams playing in the marquee slots. And, and that's what the broadcasters will be thrilled about. Hey, we'll get to Alex in Perth. Alex, just hold the line for a second because we do need to get the latest updated news with our very own Meredith Gibbs. And on the other side of this, we'll get back to your calls on one 736 736 Text coming through, 0433981116. Thick and fast. When are you rebranding to 1116 AFL? The BBL opened last night. You'd never know listening to AFL Radio 1116. Well, for, for, for that person, uh, we will speak to Jared Waitley about SEN Summer of Cricket, which we will have exclusively at 10 to 10 this morning. So stick around. And what I would say is it's your show. So if you want to talk cricket, if you want to talk about the BBL last night, which was, which was a, a solid start. It wasn't, wasn't fully uh, enthralling. In fact, Benny Lyon, I'd love for you to chase down the ratings for channel sevens BBL last night and just see how they were tracking year on year. But if you want to talk cricket, one 736 736 call up and talk cricket. G'day, Kane. I'm a Melbourne member. I'm so excited about Mark Williams joining the club. How do you feel, says Richo. Uh, I'm thrilled for him, Richo. I think it's an outstanding appointment. Let's go to Perth. Alex has been patient. G'day to you, Alex. G'day, Kane. Um, I'm one of these people that used to make the uh, annual pilgrimage to Sydney to watch West Coast play either Sydney or GWS with um, three of my relatives. Um, but interestingly, uh, for the year that was affected by COVID, COVID, prior to COVID, the fixturing didn't provide for a game in Sydney by, for West Coast. 
which was I thought it was very bizarre. But the fact that um, they're going floating fixturing, you sort of wonder, are they sort of um, compromising the integrity of the draw? And are, are teams being sort of pushed into sort of um, situations that they don't want to be in, sort of playing games on Sunday when they, when they shouldn't be perhaps playing on a Friday or... You know, I just find it, are we going down a WWE sort of path where the entertainment is the sort of the, the guiding mm. force as mm. opposed to the integrity of the game and the fixturing being sorted and um, it should be uncompromised? Well, I think what I think what happened this year was the AFL realised through, um, through unforeseen circumstances that they could achieve a lot uh, under difficult times. And you think, well, th- does it really matter if a team's coming off a five-day break. So can we have a floating fixture and schedule Geelong and Richmond on a Sunday? That that probably wouldn't happen. But then turn it around and get Geelong back playing at Caninia Park on a Thursday. Well, we probably can because the players have shown that they can cope with it. No worries. So that's been probably an eye-opener for the AFL. And um, by extension, the players and the clubs think, well, there wasn't too much carnage off players playing um, three games in the space of you know, 18 days or whatever it was and whatever it turned out to be, we got through that okay. So we can do it again and give some flexibility to the broadcaster. Uh, Ratings last night for the Big Bash. He's onto it. Benny Sharp this morning. Uh, Channel 7, the five-city average was 422,000. 163,000 watched in Melbourne and 103,000 in Sydney. Gut feel, I would think that is a disappointing result, 163,000 in Melbourne. Um, but did you watch it? Were you captivated by it? What do you think about the new rules? The super sub, all sorts of things, bonus point for the team leading after the first 10 runs. Did you like it? Or, and is the novelty wearing off for you watching the BBL? Um, I still think live sport is live sport. And if it's on, certainly we'll watch it. And I was going to put the question out there. I, I did hear Hachi and Damo speaking on the Sounding Board podcast during the week about the opportunity for a sporting code um, and seems perfect for the NBL or the BBL to hold a Christmas Day fixture. And I would be all for it. I think the BBL have missed an opportunity not to hold a Christmas Day fixture this year and it would be a clearly a nighttime thing. You have, you have Christmas Day with your family, you have lunch, Usually at about six o'clock, I'm, I've had enough. I'm trying to kick everyone out of my house and I want something to watch on TV. I would think it would be perfect to have a BBL or an NBL fixture on Christmas Day. But is that something that would interest you or is Christmas Day sacred? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. The sporting sayings that people should just not say on the back of Alex Carey telling us that Joe Burns is hitting them well in the nets even though he can't hit it off the square in a game. Pre-season, the AFL need to stop saying training the house down. We want to know how they're playing, says Cookie in Sandringham. Um, This one in terms of the review that we asked about earlier on off the top, which names you would have on the review to fix the game or help improve the game. Uh, Players that I would have are the modern greats like Judd Dangerfield. I'd have Jason Dunstall. Clarko I would put on there. Um, definitely no one who selects the All-Australian team, says Andy in Frankston. Um, just on 
Mark Williams. He's been set to come in and fix Melbourne's kicking. And Melbourne, I think, for, for Demons fans, I think I'm right in saying you had a membership for him. Was it last night or the night before? And one of the key focuses to come out of the membership forum for the Demons was to fix our skill level. Would have thought that should have been something that um, you work on constantly, would it not? But Demons fans, if you were there, if you watched it online, let us know how the membership forum went. Let's go to Graham, who wants to speak about the Big Bash. It got underway last night. Graham, did you tune in and what did you make of the opening to the BBL? I accidentally watched about 15 minutes of it. I couldn't be any more bored. Um, mm. People complaining that SEN's not talking about the BBL. Maybe the BBL needs to do something about the product. It's, you know, when you can bring in, um, well, premier cricket level players um, and they're, you know, supposedly showcasing the T20 format in Australia. I didn't know half of the players that were playing last night. Um, I watch a lot more IPL because obviously they've got a lot more money. The better players go there. They need to do something either about private ownership, increasing the salary cap, doing something to actually attract players. I think they'd rather go play in the Bangladesh League or the Canada League or the or the Caribbean League. I think they get more money playing there than they do in the BBL. It's just not a good product. It's, it's a reasonable point that you make, and I think it's fair um, what you're saying, Graham. W- what about when it first came in? So we're... We're year 10, aren't we, now for the BBL? Were you, were you a rusted-on fan for the first one or two years? Were you captivated by it? And has your interest slowly waned? Oh, it's, it's, I, I was, was a big Renegades fan. Um, yeah. I liked um, maybe pushing against the, the tide. You know, warning. I think, was at the Stars. Um, I was sort of like, not anti-warning, but I'm like, oh, yeah, they play out of um, the, the Dome Stadium. I thought that was great. Hmm. I'm just, it just seems that the, even in the Inter-Melbourne team, there's not that heat that there used to be in the first two or three seasons. There's no tension there. Um, there's no tension between the Sydney teams. You know, I think, I think now that the only one that everyone hates is Brisbane and Perth. But it, it's just no competitive tension. And I don't think, I don't think um, the spectators actually care about it anymore. I think they go to watch, get some of the young kids in there, see the, the flashing lights and the colours and the the off-field stuff, but are they actually there to see the cricket? The cricket seems to be boring. What it needs is stars. The, the, every sporting code is built around its genuine superstars, and the challenge for the BBL is that often the stars of the game, the biggest names, are unavailable, and it didn't get off to a great start. Poor, poor old Will Jacks last night got caught and bowled. It was one of the worst shots I've ever seen. And then and then there is a star playing for Hobart. His name's Darcy Short, but he got a first ball duck. So wasn't off to a great start if you were tuning in hoping for a great game. But I, I am really interested in your thoughts. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to cover it. And if it's on, I'll be watching. But are we as invested in the BBL as what we um, would have ever been? Because the ratings last night, somewhat disappointing. Jared Waitley, the head of SEN's cricket is going to join us gearing up for the big first test under lights with a pink ball at the Adelaide Oval next Thursday. 15 minutes to 10 o'clock. It's a very good morning to you. If you're just tuning in, plenty we can get your thoughts on right throughout the morning. one 736 736 But in exciting news, SEN's summer of cricket is in full swing and it's about to build up to the first test at Adelaide next Thursday with coverage starting from 1 o'clock with the best team in the business, headed up by our very own Jared Waitley, who joins us this morning. Jared, thanks for your time. Kane, good morning. How are you? 
Well, I'm good. Are, are you refreshed from what's been a tough year? How, how are you feeling about the sporting world as we do gear up for this massive test series against our arch rival India? I'm hugely excited about the cricket and uh, probably a little selfishly, we are able to travel. Actually, we're all able to travel, aren't we? So I imagine there's a few social groups who thought they might have been missing the Adelaide test who have had the choice in the past couple of weeks to to try to, uh, to re-establish their traditions and, and find the right flights or drive across mm. and find a place to stay. So given that... I mean, I haven't been at a sporting event with the crowd since March. We were able to go to a, that set of AFL games that were played in Melbourne without any crowds, and then Flemington was deserted for the Melbourne Cup. I, I can't wait to be back with the sporting brethren and at, a, at an event that's got a crowd. Oh, and I wanted to ask you about that because yesterday 30000 for Boxing Day was announced, which you know you may think is is a bit unders, but when you look at where we were three months ago, it's almost the best possible result. Yes, yes. Oh, I can't oh, I can't be a narc about this. I'm a bit perplexed by those who are. I do think you have to have lived through this in Melbourne to have the full perspective mm. of it. But there was a time where we knew the grand final wouldn't be in Melbourne. We knew there wouldn't be anybody at the Melbourne Cup. And at that stage, it looked like the Boxing Day test wouldn't be at the MCG. So... This is testament to, to the community attitude that, that has been undertaken to the challenge of the times. And we're up to, I think it's 43 days without infection in Victoria. So it's it's steady as she goes. It's, every time we talk about this as, as a group, uh, there's those who go, don't risk it now. And that's, I guess, that's the whole narrative behind the Australian Open at the moment. The ultra-cautious approach that's mm. being taken for an event that will be in February is don't, don't compromise it now around sport let's be grateful for what we've gotten 30,000 at the g for each day of the boxing day test is a huge result tell us about your team jerry because it's as good as it gets yourself and huddo yeah. i love that dynamic you've done it for a number of years simon kadich has proven to be one of the great um, modern day cricket experts he'll be alongside you the wit the humor um the nous of damian fleming brad haddon matt white's a newcomer and, and adam collins as well it doesn't get much better no, we're, we're really excited. I think our selection ended up being a bit more straightforward than what Australia is going through at the moment. <laughs> I want to so, ask you about that in a minute. Yes, Simon Kadich is he's our mainstay. He's been with us on SEN Test Cricket from day one, and Damien Fleming, everybody knows and, and loves so well. We are delighted to add Brad Haddon. So he came and did a day of the Sydney Test with us last year, and we all got to the end of that day and, and came together and said we have to, we have, to have him as a permanent mm. member. Uh, his experiences... Uh, both as a player with more than the 40 tests and, and his wicket-keeping, but also the coaching now. So he moved from his playing days into that coaching setup with this staff and these players. So his insights were fantastic. Uh, as we've grown SEN across the year, Ian Healy's become part of our family and, and Heels uh, is known so well and admired and much loved. Uh, I'm thrilled to say that Chris Rogers will be with us for the Boxing Day test. So... Uh, he and I go back a, a fair way, though we go back to the other place, and uh, his experiences as an opener 
and um, he's the coach of Victoria now, so he's going to join us for Boxing Day. Lisa Stalaker, Simon O'Donnell, one of the great treats of last summer was going and sitting in Simon's seat at the MCG. Gavin Robertson, uh, Ryan Harris will join us. Adam Collins, mm. as you mentioned, who's been with the cricket circle through this bubble phase around the world. And Peter Lawler, the chief cricket writer for the Australians. So, yeah, I'm absolutely thrilled with the way that that's come together. And I know we'll have hours of enjoyment together. Well, tell us about your your lineup is set, as you said, but the Aussies is not. And fierce debate who should open the batting for Australia for the first test next Thursday, as I said, in Adelaide. In tricky conditions, four batsmen under lights with a pink ball. Ian Healy says Joe Burns must play, but I'm not convinced he can. Well, you have to make some runs, don't you? Yeah, like, I would have thought. So th- this has got really difficult, that... The timing of the Warner injury is diabolical. And then I just, there's just a great sense of sadness around Will Pekovsky and, and a concussion at precisely the wrong moment. So I think the favoured way was Warner and Pekovsky. And I actually think behind the scenes that's what was happening. And now neither of them will be there. Marcus Harris was the leading run scorer for Australia two summers ago against India. And I'd said this when the squad was first picked. I would have had him ahead of Joe Burns in the pecking order regardless. So he plays in this... Well, he played in the previous Australia A game and he plays in the pink ball game uh, this afternoon at the SCG, which will play a major role. But I just don't see how he's not there at the top of the order. And Burns... Well, Burns will play alongside Harris, but I think we all need to cross our fingers in hopes that he can make some runs in this match because Mm. it would be really difficult for him to walk into a test match in the form that he's in. Uh, and you've been an elite sportsman, Kane, but the, not only the fear of failure, but the, the complete betrayal of your own game at the moment. He He's nothing like he should be. And I can imagine the trepidation that he would be feeling at the moment. I don't agree with the... I, I've heard a lot of the commentary around he needs to be told he's in the team. He's been told that over and over and over as... The team could not have been more loyal to him from coach and captain and opening partner and chief selector. Is He shouldn't feel uh, any agitation on that front. The agitation he feels is in the state of his game. So we need to cross our fingers and hope that he makes some runs at the SCG because he'll be there next Thursday. For the first time since um, from Sandpaper Gate, Steve Smith, was asked about the captaincy and and gave an answer that I think says that he's open to captaining his country again. But he was really respectful in his response. He said, look, Finchie and and Payne are doing a great job at the moment. I'll do what's in the best interest for the country. Will Steve Smith, in your opinion, captain his country again before his time is up? I suspect he will. Um, Whether he... Uh, should or not is is a really vexed question. So what's been forgotten in all of this is Cricket Australia's own own parameters. So in the punishments that were handed down at the time, there's a provision that the Australian public has to approve of Smith to resume a leadership role. And that was, it was an unusual thing to put in, but it matched the sentiment of the time. But it's never been explained how Cricket Australia would go about that. I mean, it implies some level of of poll as to mm. whether the Australian public is prepared to accept Steve Smith back in a position of leadership. So at some point, the governing body is going to have to lay out what the path back to leadership is for Steve Smith. And from there, it becomes a national issue unless they 
remove the provision that they put in at the time. So I think Smith is, he's in a bind to have to talk about it because it's a long way outside his control. Um, Payne is the, is an outstanding test captain for the day. And Aaron Finch is exactly the right man for the white ball. So there's no hurry in it, but there was a process that cricket Australia committed itself to that. It is never illuminated and it needs to, at some point, it actually needs to begin that to find out whether he's going to, whether the public will um, accept him back as a leader in time. Well, Jared, summer to me means hearing your voice calling the cricket on the radio, and it's uh, thrilling to have you uh, heading up SEN's coverage once again with a magnificent team. Can't wait to tune in and have a great summer, have a terrific Christmas, and we'll, we'll hear you on the radio and speak to you in the new year. I look forward to seeing you in the flesh, hopefully, Kane, in the short term. <laughs> That'll be terrific. SEN's Jared Waitley with a great team. You'll hear all the action on the SEN app and on your local uh, radio dials covering the game as good as anyone. Jared Waitley joining us this morning. I hope there's some niggle. I, I, I really do. It's been nicely, nicely. These players played together in the IPL and it's been very calm and composed so far in the shorter formats. I hope come test time we do get the niggle that makes test cricket so great. We've got a big show coming up. We're going to cover everything. We're going to talk some boxing, some athletics. Um, it's Melbourne City Membership Day. We're going to do that for the Melbourne City fans. It's all coming up throughout the morning. Again, and he gets another body shot. Stop it. Yeah. Stop the fight. Of course they have. And he's an all-new zoo. And now he's a superstar. And that he is, and he joins us, Tim Zhu. Um, Tim, thank you so much for your time this morning. No, any time, guys. We know you've got a big fight coming up against the New Zealander, which I want to address shortly, and there's been a war of words uh, erupting, which we love in the build-up to a fight. It's happening on December the 16th. But I just want to go back in time a little bit uh, in terms of your athletic journey. You are a really gifted uh, soccer player coming through before clearly turning your attention to boxing. Can can I get that decision from you and, and what it was that did force you to turn your attention solely to boxing? Um, I think for me, uh, being in an individual sport more suited for myself, um, I like to, to take things all under all under control and, and soccer for that fact, because um, it's a team sport, didn't allow me to do that. Did did the team sport aspect frustrate you with others perhaps letting you down? Yeah, well, there's there's no one to blame in boxing. There's no one to blame but yourself. Um, while in the soccer field, there's there's how many more people, and you can try as hard as you want. Um, sometimes you can't get the victory due to the fact that sometimes your teammates are bludging or you don't have the best team. So you know, uh, there's a lot involved. Mm, so you're going to take on Bowen Morgan on the 16th. Now, he did have the opportunity, the New Zealand, to fight you earlier on. He knocked it back. It was 18 months ago, and you reckon that was a big mistake on his part? Yeah, well, um, the last 18 months have been big for myself. Um, I've had I've had big fights. I've had big improvements. Um, so, it's, it's you know, it's going to be trouble for him. It seems such a small margins game boxing, um, like the average person would watch a, a, a fight, a spar, and you, you probably can't tell too much difference by the way they go about it. 
you can. What has it, the improvement? What, where has it come from specifically um, in your craft? In all, in all aspects, boxing, it's so all-rounded that you've got to improve on everything. Um, running that extra mile, uh, going that extra round, um, all, all those little things, everything everything in boxing is quite universal, the, the same routine. Um, you punch them bad, you punch the pads, you, you do the rounds in the ring, and, and the growth comes in really, really, um, really small doses, and... Um, mm. You, you definitely see it during fight night. I love this quote that you've uh, given the Sydney Morning Herald in the lead-up to this fight. You said, things change. I haven't taken days off. I've been obsessed with my training, obsessed with getting better and obsessed with working on new things. And to be great, which you are, you're Australia's number one, I guess that's what's involved. But has that taken some time to be fully in, in, in involved in what takes it to be great with your training? Yeah, of course, but um, it's taken a bit of time. But I, I always my goals have changed through throughout throughout my boxing career, and right now they're they're over the, over the moon. So um, for myself, um, I haven't achieved anything yet. I haven't done anything in this sport because there's a long road to go. Um, and what I want um, takes much, much more time and effort. What is it that you want? To be, to be, to be the best. Simple. <laughs> mm. So you said, so, so we're under a week out, and you know, we, I watch boxing movies, and I, I, I'm a, I love the training. I think, you know, anyone who's played a, a team sport, they get the boxing gloves out from time to time, and... It's it's got to be physically one of the hardest sports to do because you box for thirty seconds and the average person is absolutely wrecked, like gasping for air. You're under a week out from a big bout. What, what does this week look like for you? Uh, just I'm tapering off now. Um, losing the last bit of the the kilograms um, and just making weight. Um, I'm, I've done the prep. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go now. Um, What's put me in the ring now? I'll be, I'll be ready to take you guys head off. <laughs> I love it. What's, what's the process to make weight? I mean, we, we see what, what jockeys put themselves through. I can't imagine it's as strict as that, but uh, what's the process to make sure you are the right weight? Um, just dropping a few kilograms each day. Um, yeah, it's, there's, I don't, I'm lucky I don't have to, to cut much, which is good. Um, but yeah, everything's about sharpening up and um, there's no point taking days off because my, I don't know how my body will react to that because I've been training all year round. So for me, just keeping myself sharp, um, not over over pushing it because all the hard work's already done. Um, I've done the rounds in the ring. I've done the rounds in the gym. So everything, everything's done. It's just um, keeping your mind focused. Your opponent says he wants to take the decision out of the judge's hands. He wants to knock you out. Now, what's your response to that? I mean, I want to I knock this guy out even more. <laughs> so it's the the feelings are mutual. Don't don't you worry. <laughs> and you've got a you've got a fourteen centimeter reach advantage. How big an advantage is that for you? And how do you utilize that? Well, that just shows that he's only going to have one game plan, and that's to come inside. So um, look, I'm an all rounded boxer, all rounded fighter. I can do everything. Um, if I can, if I want to bang, I want to bang. If I want to go on the inside, I want to go on the inside. Um, Depends on what I feel that night. Um, but look, we've created a game plan, 
uh, I'm certain that, that it's going to work. So the technical side of a, a fight like this, as we mentioned before, such small margins, uh, how much time is, is focused on that as well? And who and who helps you with that? Well, everything's, everything's a matter of inches in this, in this game. Um, it's all about... Everything's everything's strategic. Um, as much as it's boxing is all about swinging and fighting and all that, um, this is a chess game, and it's, it's about being three steps ahead of your opponent. Um, you know that's how I see it. And um, in all my fights, that's what I intend to show my opponents: is that you know I'm always three steps ahead of you, and um, whatever you do, I know that you're going to do. It's the first uh, Sydney Stadium fight since 2006. You're, you're a homegrown Sydney boy. Um, in terms of restrictions with, with the crowd, how many are you going to be uh, in the arena watching and cheering you along, do you know? Well, I, th- I think we're, we've got no restrictions anymore. So I think it's an open stadium. So hopefully we can get as many people as we can. Um, hopefully we've got the biggest biggest crowd in attendance for the whole year. Um, me and Jeff Horn got second. Um, Wilder Fury got number one, but hopefully we can beat Wilder and Fury for for this year's attendance. Mm. And does it sit well with you to be? You are now the undisputed face of Australian boxing. Um, everyone knows who you are, and you, you you're starting to get the recognition that clearly you deserve. You're walking down the street, and people stopping for photos and having a chat. And how does that sit with you and your personality? Oh, look, I'm I'm a quiet guy. Uh, I keep to myself. So um, I've, I've I've sort of been used to it through through my dad's career, through my dad's life. Um, so for me, it's it, it at the same time it, it feels good that that everything that you do um, is quite it's paying off. Uh, that people actually recognise it. Um, you know, it, it's a good feeling. Um, but look, um, I'm not phased by it. I'm not. I don't come. I didn't come into boxing for fame, for the money. Um, I came here to be the best, um, and everything else comes with it. The Sydney Super Fight will be exclusively on main event. It's available on Foxtel and KO for fifty nine ninety five. I, I got to say, Tim, I I met you briefly at the Danny Mun- Danny Green and, and Mundine Fight in Adelaide in, in twenty seventeen. I had my son there with you, and you were. So friendly and nice. You had a photo with him, and he's still got the photo, which he loves. So from that moment, I thought this guy is an absolute ripper, and it's so good to see you go on and do what you have done. And we wish you all the best on the 16th, mate, and I hope you do what you say you're going to do, and that's knock him out. No, I appreciate that, man. Good on you. Tim Zhu is Australia's biggest boxing superstar and a very um, humble athlete and one of Australia's best. As I said, the Sydney Super Fight will be exclusively on main event. It is available on Fox 2 and KO for fifty nine ninety five. I do love speaking to the young kids that were drafted on Wednesday night. It is one of the highlights of the year because you can see it. Uh, a lot of these youngsters from the age seven, eight, nine years of age, it's all they've wanted to do. So in that moment when your name is called out and the realisation of a dream, it's as good a live TV as you can see. And, and one of those is our next guest, albeit he didn't look happy. Let's find out if he was. The GWS Giants selected our next guest, guest Tanner Bruin. He joins me. Tanner, congratulations, mate, and thanks for joining us this morning. No worries, Kane. Uh, thanks for having me. 
you didn't look happy, um, but I, I heard you speak yesterday and you, and you explained yeah. it. Um, you had a, yeah. a, a sort of stony face look, and but yeah. was it shock or were you genuinely disappointed to head to the Giants? No, of course not. No, I couldn't have picked a better club, to be honest. Um, I'm over the moon. And yeah, like you said, it was just a bit of a shock. So, um, you know, my, my mind had sort of been spiralling over the night and um, yeah, it was a bit of a whirlwind for me and my family and very emotional and um, just such a great time. And um, yeah, I'm so happy and I'm, I'm super stoked to be heading up to Sydney on Sunday. And um, Yeah, it was more of a shock than anything came. So that's the that's the start time. So I guess your first day will be Monday as an AFL footballer. Yeah, that's it. So I'll get up there Sunday and um, yeah, kick things off on Monday. So you're from the Geelong Falcons, midfield 182 centimetres. What sort of player, if you can describe yourself, uh, are the Giants getting? Yep. Um, yeah. So I'm a I'm a midfielder that um, can yes yeah, sort of switch forward. Um, I think I'm a pretty competitive player and to get my hands on the footy and um, you know make hopefully make good decisions as well. Um, yeah, and then impact the scoreboard as well when I go forward. But um, I suppose to me, I've sort of added the strength to my game. You know, I've been able to go down back and had a bit of, bit of exposure off half-back. So hopefully I can bring some to the Giants. And yeah, I just can't wait to get started. Ask a lot of the, the players that were selected, did, did you have an inkling of, of which club was, was showing the most interest? Was that the case for the Giants with you? Did, did you did you think, um, they, 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 they've interviewed me a couple of times, they seem keen or not? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd spoke to the Giants, yeah, a little bit. They come down to my, my house about, you know, a week and a half before the draft. So, um, but yeah, probably, the, yeah, you've probably seen it with my, my emotions. It was just a sort of a shock to me. And, um, you know, so much had happened, um, you know, in the first sort of 10, 10 11 picks. And, um, you yeah, it was just more of a relief that I got my name called out. And, um, yeah, I'm just super happy and, yeah, just can't wait to get up there. When was the last time you played a game? Um, yeah, I, well, I think I played a practice match for um, Geelong Grammar, um, I think June or July. So it's been a while, but um, yeah, hopefully I can, uh, hopefully I haven't lost too much of it. How difficult, I mean, it's been a difficult year for everyone, clearly, but for, for a youngster who just lives and breathes your footy, and it's the most yeah. important year, not only schooling, but footy-wise, how tough was it? And um, I mean, how did you deal with that challenge this year? Yeah, um, oh, probably personally for me, it was, it's probably a bit more challenging. Um, you know, I missed a, a proportion of last year um, with my knee injury. So, um, yeah, I was hoping for a, um, a big, healthy, you know, season this year, this season. Mm. Um, but, yeah, with that cut short, it was pretty disappointing. But, um, yeah, I had, you know, plenty of good people around me. And, um, I sort of just knew what I, what I could control. And, um, yeah, now the time's come. And um, I'm just, yeah, really grateful to the Giants. Tanner Bruin is the Giants' first-round draft pick. He's off there heading up to Sydney on Sunday, and first day of preseason will be Monday. What are you most looking forward to about being an AFL footballer? Um, yeah, I'm just you know really looking forward to getting up there and meeting all the boys, and um, yeah, I'll just try and earn the respect off the players, and you know ask as many questions I can, and learn as much as possible. And um, I just can't wait to get started and, and get on the track, and yeah, work as hard as I can. And have you spoken to the coach yet, Leon Cameron? Has he given you a buzz? Yeah, he gave me a buzz um, literally after my name got called out. So, um, yeah, I spoke to Leon on the phone uh, on a video call and um, he's a great fellow and I'm yeah, looking forward to working with him. I guess the question that uh, you've got to ask any Giants player, particularly those from interstate, they've had a, some real trouble keeping their players. I mean, is 
Is that a risk for them? And was that question asked to you prior to the draft? Did, did they ask you whether it was a risk that you'd one day want to head home? And, and how did you answer it? Um, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, they have asked me before. And um, I'm pretty, you know, open-minded about that sort of stuff. And I'm just really looking forward to getting up there. And um, No, I don't think it's a risk at all. I'm, I'm going to yeah, show the Giants my loyalty and um, hopefully get up there and um, have an impact and, um, you know, put my best foot forward in, in every way. So, um, yeah, like I said, I just can't wait to get up to Sydney and um, hopefully experience, experience something really special. Hey, from what you've seen and from those you've played with and against, if you had the first pick in the draft, um, who would you have picked? Um, oh, it's a no-brainer. I think you'd pick Jamara any day of the week. Um, he's a good player of mine as well, so I hope he'd be happy for me to say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd definitely be picking Jamara. So what what's what are the Western Bulldogs getting and and why why would you why did you give that answer? Um, oh, I think they're just getting a super super talent. Um, he's yeah he's a rarity. I think he's um, he's you know what he can do in the air um, with his marking capabilities and um, he's such an athlete and he's so agile as well. And um, I think he's going to bring a lot to the, to the doggies and um, yeah they're very lucky that they've got him. As will you for the Giants, mate. It's so good to see your name called out and then we get to sit back and follow your progress and have a chat. Um, is is your goal to play senior footy round one next year and, and when will you go about setting some, some goals for yourself? Oh, yeah, 100%. I think um, that's sort of always a goal, just to try and play as quick, quick as you can. And um, Well, that's round one, round one sorry, or, or whenever it is. Um, you know, I'm just going to try and um, you know, have an impact as soon as I can and um, not wait around. But yeah, I'll ask a lot of questions and um, use all those all the boys up there. Um, obviously, they're very experienced and great resources to me and I'm just going to sort of pick, pick apart their brains and um, yeah, see where it takes them. But yeah, I'm keen to sort of to get up there and get stuck into it straight away. It's a good attitude, mate. We, we appreciate your time this morning and wish you all the best. No worries. Thanks, Eves Kane. Appreciate it. She knows her AFL better than most, having been an AFLW Premiership player, but she is versatile, our next guest, and she is Melbourne City's latest signing. The superstar is Jenna McCormack. She joins us. Jenna, uh, thanks for your time this morning. No worries. Thanks for having me. Why Melbourne City? Um, oh, it's a pretty easy answer, this one. Um, City's just leading the way in professional professionalism in women's football uh, in Australia, and um, their environment that they that they have there for their players just breeds success, and I want to be successful. You know, I want to be a part of that, and um, yeah, I see it just as the next step in my in my career and the best place that I'm going to be able to prepare for. Um, you know, a potential Olympic spot um, in you know four months' time when the roster is selected. So, yeah, definitely just the just I think in my opinion just the best the best position for me to be in. And when when will you start? We know the the season gets underway on Boxing Day, I think it is. Um, when when will you start with City? Yeah, so I'm currently in hotel quarantine at the moment. Um, slowly going crazy because yeah, we're just not meant to be cooped up in a hotel room no. for 14 days. Um, but no, I'm out on Wednesday, and I'll be heading straight to Melbourne and getting stuck in there. So I have a couple of weeks really to to just. Um, get back into the groove of it, um, and then our first game is away against Sydney on the thirtieth. So, so where are you now? I guess you're in Sydney. I'm actually in Brisbane. Um, right. So that makes it even worse. You got the nice sun outside. Can't <laughs> open the windows. It's just a nice tease of fresh air. 
So, Jenny, you're returning from Spain um, where you spent some time with Real Betis, I think it was, if that's how I pronounce that team correctly. You, you moved to Europe um, with the hopes of, I guess, making it big over there and setting yourself up for that spot at the Olympics that you, you're so desperate for. Did it not work out? Was it was it injury? Was it coronavirus? I mean, what 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 broke down for you with your trip to Europe? Yeah, well, um, it, it was an injury. I wasn't injured the whole time, um, but there was another of reasons, um, uh, you know, as to my departure from Spain. Um, ultimately, it was it was a mutual termination, um, and yeah, I mean. A number of layers and a number of reasons, but ultimately, you know, um, sometimes life just doesn't work out the way that sort of you'd planned. And I faced mm. a heap of challenges um, there. The main one, obviously, being the language barrier, and mm. um, yeah, it's it's basically just you know, for me, I've I've never been one to sort of quit, or you know, not that I was quitting, but I've never been one to not see out a season with the team, no matter how hard it's get. I've had some very difficult experiences in. Europe before and it, this wasn't my first rodeo and but in this instance um, you know sometimes the shoe just doesn't fit and for me I have I have goals you know I want to be in that Olympic roster and um, the environment that I was in wasn't going to help me get there um, and at the end of the day I've got to think about me and my career it's obviously going to be you know you, you as an athlete you've, you've not got your whole life to be an athlete it's a it's a short period of time so especially with the Olympics coming up, I, um, you know, I need to put myself in a position where I'm going to get the best out of myself and I'm in a supportive, um, encouraging and just a nurturing environment for all of the footballers. So, you know, that's, that's obviously as well. And I had the opportunity to come back to the W League and have it, um, have all of those things at Melbourne City. So um, I'm really just taking the steps to set myself up for as much success as I can, as I can achieve because this year's a big mm. year. I just want to explore that a little bit because it's fascinating really when you, when particularly this year, when you look at, you know, besides the, the hundred odd days in Melbourne where they were really struggling with coronavirus on the whole, Australia was the envy of the world with the way that it handled it. Was it, what was it like in Spain? And were you, were you sitting there going, gee, I wish I was back in Australia right now? <laughs> um, well, you know, sort of as much as the football was really challenging, the, the outside of football and the, you know, the city in Spain was great. I had a really great time there exploring and being in the European sun. So I certainly wasn't jealous of cold Melbourne. Mm. Um, but no, I, um, yeah, I, it, over there in terms of the coronavirus, it was, um, they had a hard lockdown like Melbourne just before I arrived, it ended. So whilst I was there, I basically got, you know, the, the most freedom. I got to experience the most freedom that the city had had for a while and, and then towards the end as well, the numbers started to go up again. So there was like a curfew um, introduced from 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. I think it was, um, and all of the restaurants and shut, all of the restaurants and stuff shut at about um, six o'clock. So for Spain and for Europe, the nightlife doesn't start until 10:30. You don't go up for dinner until 10 10:30. So mm. it was a big change, but um, it was still it was still obviously manageable, and we were allowed to go out and go to the shops during the day and, and whatever else. So it wasn't too difficult. Jenna McCormick is an AFLW Premiership player with the Crows. He's now an international soccer star, just signed with Melbourne City for the upcoming W League season, which gets underway on Boxing Day this year. You spoke 
briefly about the Olympics, and that is always, every time I've spoken to you, been your number one goal since uh, quitting in the AFL and turning your attention to the world game. You've experienced the performance for the Matildas, and I guess it's made you super hungry. Why is it so important for you um, to represent your country at the Olympics? Explain that to me. Um, it's actually quite of a difficult question to to explain. Um, like I've I've come, you know, fresh into the into the national team over the last sort of two years now, um, and that experience that I had, you know, playing my first game for Australia was. Mm was indescribable you can't mm. you just can't put it into words and and the this the the level of um severity of the occasion for me and the specialness to my family and having them all there it was just like it was just like a fairy tale for me because i never thought that i would ever be able to do that i just didn't think that you know i was a player that was going to get to that level and to finally be at that level and almost prove myself wrong and and other people wrong and uh, it was it was very special. So that that certainly did light that hunger and that drive to want to be in that environment um, when you when you're representing your country at, at international level. The 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 environment is amazing. You know, it's it's very very elite, um, and that's where you want to be as a footballer and for me as an athlete. Um, and I guess the Olympics is has always in my head been the pinnacle of like sport. You know, full stop. Um, Obviously, we have a World Cup as well that we can compete in, which holds the same level of significance for me. But just given that the Olympics is the the one in the you know the closest goal for me, mm. um, I you know that's just that's just exactly what I've been focused on. And obviously, it's been pushed back for a year, which was difficult. But at the same time, for me, it was just another opportunity to get better and continue to work. But um, yeah, I, I grew up watching the Olympics and I would sit there for basically 14 days straight like I'm doing now <laughs> um, <laughs> in front of the TV and watch every single event no matter what it was. So um, I guess I've, I've always just loved that that uh, that uh, event and, and always just sort of had it in the back of my mind and really only had it realised. It was like a realised dream since I made my debut to continue at this level and... and 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 achieve those big tournaments because you know I want to get selected in in the squad, but I also want to play. I want to be involved. I want to make my mark at that level. So um, yeah, that's you know that that at the end of the day being the goal also influences the decisions that I make in my career from now on. And and you know another reason why or the main reason why I left Spain because I want to be I want to be there and I wasn't going to be there at the Olympics by continuing to mm. stay there. So. Well, Jenna, welcome home, and we wish you all the best. No doubt we'll catch up throughout uh, the season. Thank you very much for having me, as always. I've got to say, I love the draft, even though it went for, what, 90 minutes too long, and it started at 7 o'clock and finished at 11, and the poor old players who were picked in the 50s had to hang around for three-odd hours. But there was something um, voyeuristic, if that's the right word, to go inside the um, surrounds of where the players were watching and watch the reaction of their family and friends as these kids absolutely live their dream. Well, one man who follows it closer than most, he's from Fox Footy, he's a draft guru, Matt Barmer is his name, he joins us. Matty, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks, Kane. Thanks for having me on. How do you think it flowed, the draft on Wednesday? 
Yeah, it was an interesting one. I think, uh, you know, seeing the academy prospect in Jamara Hagen go number one, which is something, you know, we've never seen before since the, the sort of the academy and all the father-son stuff in, in recent years. So that was, I guess, um, maybe a few months ago, a bit of a surprise to get off to, to start with the draft. And then, you know, it only took sort of 10, 15 minutes for a couple more surprises to really pan out with North Melbourne sort of shocking a few to go and get Will Phillips rather than maybe a, a half forward prospect or even one of the tools that were available. So, you know, from North Melbourne's pick, it really opened up, I guess. Well, let's work through the top of the draft because that's where a lot of the interest lies. Rightly or wrongly, there is some some extra pressure that comes with clubs picking early. So the Bulldogs, no issue there, and um, they, they got a nice Christmas gift, didn't they? But what, what about Adelaide? They went with Rolly Philthorpe, 200 centimetre ruckman slash forward. He's a big boy. He's competitive. Do you think the Crows made the right call? Yeah, I think it would have been a really tough decision. And, and the the real factor, I guess, with this one is that the fact that Riley is a South Australian and Logan was the other real, Logan McDonald, the, the WA key forward. It was sort of, I guess, in a sense, between the two of those. And I know, as you know, Adelaide and the, the two-town city, it's a very hard one for Hamish Ogilvy and his team to really, I guess, overlook Riley. And that's not saying that Riley wasn't one of the best two guys in the draft and you speak to a lot of recruiters and, and even they were sort of split on what to, to do at the top. You know, some definitely would have said, no, nah, Logan McDonald is definitely the, the guy Adelaide should have taken, but others would have said that Riley was definitely, um, you know, a real candidate there. So, I mean, they weren't going to lose either way what happened there. I think um, Riley's going to be a very good player. He's 200 centimetres and his work in the sample was very good this year. So um, they certainly got a good one there. So if I'm North Melbourne and Ben Brown goes out the door, I think, well... Logan McDonald's there, he's, he's key forward, he's, he's ready to go. They don't pick him. Um, they went with a midfielder in Phillips, as you said. Did, did that surprise you at all? Yeah, it did. I thought um, I thought they definitely look at either will um, Elijah Holland, sort of the mid-forward, give them something maybe they don't really have in their midfield, uh, a guy that can really hit the scoreboard. And, you know, they've just got Jaden Stevenson. You could almost pair him. He's a bit more inside rather than Jaden. But, you know... It gives them a bit of X factor, a bit of, you know, someone that you can really um, go and watch the footy and say, you know, Elijah's going to be really fun to watch. But the key forward in Logan McDonald, who, you know, couldn't have done much more in the Waffle this year. He, he kicked a stack of goals in the Waffle League, which you don't really see too many guys go and play senior footy at, as 18-year-olds and actually mm-hmm. dominate rather than just filling a gap. So, yeah, I think that was an interesting conversation and I'm not sure how it would have panned out in, inside the club, but um, yeah, time will tell, I guess, with how that one pans out. Sydney seemed to have been a, a big winner picking at four and five with the academy player, Braden Campbell, as well, matching that bid, Hawthorne's bid at five. He looks like a, an absolute star. But what about the Hawks? Because I, I spoke to a couple of clubs during the week and Denver Granger Barras was a couple of player clubs had him number one. Now, Hawks have got him at pick six. He's 194 centimetres. He's a defender who's competitive. Feels like they've got a player. Oh, absolutely. And as you say, you know, a lot of the clubs definitely had him in their top three. You know, I know a few that had him at pick one and and would have said straight away he was the player that they would have taken if they got up that high. He's just such a good defender. And, you know, Logan played Waffle C in your footy, but Denver Granger Brass did as well. Um, And his work was really good. He's a bit different. He's not your, I guess, your key position, number one key bat, because he can also sort of play as the, the smaller type lockdown. And, you know, for those that don't watch a lot of underage footy, you know, comparisons are a bit here or there, but he's a Dylan Grimes sort of type. So that's how he will play at AFL level. He's not your David Asprey, if you're looking at Richmond's defence. He's not your lockdown back. 
he's more the guy that can intercept, can play tall if needed, but, and can play small. So there's so many tricks with him, and he was awesome last year as a bottom major. And I guess that's why clubs really rate him so highly, because not only this year he was very good, but last year he was also exceptional. Matty Barmer from Fox Footy. He's our resident draft guru. So the Bombers were always going to be a, a key player in this three picks inside 10. How'd they go? Yeah, well, they sort of shaped the draft in a sense of how the, the latter half of the first round was going to look. We always thought they'd pick a tall. So Nick Reed or, or Zach Reed was, I'm sorry, Nick Cox or Zach Reed was always going to be, I guess, the player that they would target and then maybe match it with an Archie Perkins, who's a half forward midfielder. And then with their other selection, maybe take the best available mid. Um, in the end, they went for the two tools, which is, I guess, an interesting tactic. I mean, it depends how you rate them. Do you try and get one of each? Tanner Bruin was on the board. Tom Powell, they had sort of some links too late as a midfielder. Um, I think at the end of the day, they've got these two tools that are, you know, they're very athletic. They can play not just as a pigeonhole at one position. They can play both ends of the ground. Reed plays a bit in the ruck. So they've got some real flexibility with these guys. And you look at the Essendon tools on their list, They've drafted tall for the last few years, but they're sort of pigeonholing positions. You know, Michael Hurley and Kyle Hooker are going out soon, you think. Uh, um, Joe Danaher left it the off-season. So there's definitely some gaps for these tools to develop into. Uh, a lot of Pies fans just trying to sit back and see if the club can mitigate some of the damage that was done in the trade period. Uh, pick 17, Oliver Henry. Pick 19, Finlay McRae. And a lot of people saying Collingwood did really well to get these two. Do you share that view? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it was all doom and gloom, I guess, for Collingwood supporters walking out of the trade period and, and hearing the things from Ned Guy and Fox Footy and, and everywhere talking about, you know, we're going to try and hit the draft hard. We think it's a great opportunity, but fans didn't really want to hear that at the time. But you look back on it now and they've done a really good effort to, to get Ollie Henry a, a medium forward that, you know, Essendon and a few of the higher clubs were certainly considering Finn McRae, the, the brother of Jack, a real inside type that you know, has got a lot of developing to do, but he can play senior footy next year. There's no doubt in that. Um, and then being able to match a bit on Reef McInnes, their academy guy, after those two was a massive, massive win for, for Collingwood and their list management team. So they've got three guys in that sort of mix in the, their top 23 picks that some clubs certainly had around the pick 10. So I think they've done really well there. And then they snared a couple of later guys in Caleb Poulter and, and Lee McMahon, who are, are really good prospects. I think that'll develop well. And so I think overall, Collingwood's definitely one of the big winners for sure. Was there anyone that got selected uh, late that you thought may have had their name called out a lot earlier? Yeah, I thought Carlton did a really good job to get Jack Carroll from Western Australia. He went at pick 41. Um, there was a lot of fans of him, um, I know, mm. and clubs sort of in that first round range were, were really tossing up whether to take him. And his just stuff at WA level was really good this year. And he was one of the few that I guess raised probably where they were at the start of the year and, and pushed him into that mix as a, as a potential first rounder. In the end, Carlton, I guess, got a steal with him at pick 41. He's a, a really good contested ball winning midfielder, can play across half back and he's a really smart footballer. So those footy smarts are really fit in. I know Carlton's just um, traded for Zach Williams and Adam Starr. They've got a bit of speed, but, uh, Carroll's got that class and that midfield skill, so I think um, he complements what they've done in the trade period really well. And another Rioli at Richmond. Yes, absolutely. Maurice Rioli Jr., and it's a good little pick for the Tigers. They lost Jack Higgins in trade period. They've got another small forward. I mean, um, he's going to take a bit of time to develop, but I guess with these later guys and the father-son's picks, when they're, they're around the 50 range, you know, 
they're not expected to come in next year and and, uh, and dominate or play at all, really. They're just there to develop and see what they're like over the next few years. We saw what Dan Rioli did. You know, they've just got something special. And Maurice is a guy that doesn't have to have a lot of touches but can really impact the game. He can pick, kick one or two goals in a quarter and, and turn the game in a sense. You know, it's disappointing we didn't really get the chance to see him, I guess, at the championships or a NAB League level. But his stuff over in NT and um, in the past has been... Um, Good glimpses, so I think um, the Tigers might have a good one there. Matty, before we let you go, I've I got to ask uh, how the broken finger is healing. <laughs> yes, no, uh, it was a real good time to uh, break a finger just leading into the draft. Thankfully, didn't have to hold um, too many microphones, but it did make making uh, a number of phone calls and uh, tapping out some stories very difficult. But, um, yeah, glad that the trade period and draft period is all over now and um, focus on for 2021. How'd you break it? Uh, just um, fielding a point, playing a bit of club cricket and uh, misfielded one and, yeah, oh. just hit it on the thumb. That'll get you. Hey, mate, loved your, loved your uh, access to your insights in the lead-up to the draft and post, and we appreciate that this morning. No worries, Kane. Have a good one. Yeah, it's time now to go to the US and speak to an Aussie athletic superstar, really, and what he achieved uh, during the week was extraordinary. Pat Tiernan broke the national 10,000-metre record, and he is the Australian record holder. He's been good enough to join us. Pat, thanks for your time, mate, and, and a massive congratulations. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. Appreciate it, and uh, thanks for having me on the show today. 27 minutes... 22 seconds for 10Ks. For those playing along at home, that is 2 minutes 44 per kilometre. Ridiculous, Pat. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, I think, you know, we sort of went a similar clip, I mean, pretty much right on the same last year, um, around this time down at Zatapec, and Stewie, Stewie ran away from me there, so it was nice to to be on on the other end of that this year, which was uh, you know shows a bit a bit of improvement in twelve months, which is always a good sign. Stewie McSwain is the other athlete you mentioned when you refer to Stewie. Yeah, he's been dominating all the headlines, Paddy. So it's good that someone else has got some recognition. Yeah, no, it's been good. I'll admit it was um, you know kind of inspiring for my. Sitting at sitting at home watching watching him out there running uh, all those Australian records this year, it kind of um, you know gave me a bit of motivation to to get going. And when I got the opportunity to, I, I figured I'd really make the most of that. So you finished uh, second in this race in California, and you have qualified for the Olympics, Tokyo. You, you've been there before, I know that. But if you were to run a similar time at the Olympics next year, 27-22, would you be a realistic medal shot or, or certainly, you know, a top six performance? Would that put you in that equation? I honestly don't think so. I mean, I think realistically going into the Olympics, you've got to be in sub-27 shape if you want to, really, if you want to be talking about top eight, I would say, you want to sort of be in that sort of shape, and then if you want to be a medalist, you've got to be around 2640 um, to 2650 range, so, you know, a lot of work to do, but I think, given that it, it is so early in the season, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement, and that's definitely going to remain the goal. Um, I know it's a long, long way off at the moment, but I think it's something that's, that is realistic down the road for me, so we'll, we'll keep aiming towards that. It's amazing to think that uh, you can be number one in your sport and a, a significant sport like athletics that send a team to the Olympics, but you you don't get the recognition 
that you deserve? What, what's the year been like for you? I mean, who funds your trips overseas, chasing all the events in a, a really difficult time? And um, what sort of sacrifices had have you had to make to make sure you've been racing and qualifying for where you want to be this year? Yeah, well, I mean, that was actually um, was the first track race I've run since December of last year, actually. Um, I was was anticipating racing in March um, to open my season after the year, and that was kind of when things started to unfold, and um, that race got cancelled, and then from there I didn't really didn't really get any opportunities. Um, I was on the east coast of the US at that point in time, and there weren't weren't any racing opportunities there and then my um my partner and I decided we wanted to join it join some training groups out on the west coast here um so yeah so we made that move in August and then since then you know this race in December was something that we kind of targeted and said look it's probably going to be the only opportunity we'll get to race this year um so yeah it, I'll admit it was it was tough um you know going a whole year without having a proper race is is mentally pretty challenging um you know there were definitely weeks where I did not did not train um you know if you looked at what I was doing that week you would not look at it and think oh that's a professional track and field athlete mm. um mm. it's um you know it's a, it was sort of a difficult process at times but I think once we you know, once we had a goal of what we were trying to do and sort of got back on track there, then it was pretty easy to get back into the flow of things. And, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited that I'm, I'm out on the West Coast now in Eugene training with the Oregon Track Club. Um, it's a really great opportunity for me. And I'm, you know, just thankful that it's uh, kind of got a bit of a spark going for me. I want to get your thoughts on this half marathon record that was shattered in Valencia also, where I think it was four athletes broke, broke the previous half marathon world record. Now, Kibberwatt Candy, I think is how I pronounce his name, ran 57 minutes 32 to break the half marathon world record. Pat, I get a bit skeptical when results like this happen because history would tell you that often there's some um, issues that come up post-races like this. As a, an Australian athlete, do you look at these results and be absolutely gobsmacked by some of them? Oh, you know, I think you, you want to believe that it's, that it's um, you know, that it's a legit result. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm treating it as it is. Um, because, you know, uh, like you just said, there's there's instances sometimes where it does come out that, um, you know, something was a little bit funky, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't come out for, for a while. Mm. Um, the reality is I'm probably going to be racing against a lot of these guys in the Olympics, um, in World Championships, in Diamond League, those sort of races anyway. Um, and as, as great as it is to be able to have a result and then, come back a few years later and hear, oh, yeah, maybe I, I did finish a few places off. It doesn't doesn't do the same thing for you. So ultimately, it's a position where you've just got to, you just got to compete anyway and kind of put it to the back of your mind and treat everyone as if they're, you know, on the same starting line um, because realistically that's, that's all that really matters is on the day what you can produce. And so, yeah, so my mentality is just look, Go into it. There's nothing you can really control in that regard, um, and yeah, just you know, put out, put out what you got there, and, and hope for the best. But 
mate, I'll, I'll admit it was very, um, it brought me back down to earth very quickly to get me back to my hotel room on Saturday night and see if they went through 10K in 27.25. That was, um, you know, that, that quickly brought me back down and realised I got a bit of work to do. So good. Um, but yeah, so no, I think, you know, you, you just got to treat it as if um, innocent until proven guilty, I guess, in that, that regard. Mm, extraordinary. Hey, mate, before we let you go, you got plans to come home to Australia soon or not? Uh, unfortunately not. I think just with, you know, with um, COVID and everything going on, I mean, you guys are bloody killing it at the moment with it, but mm. over here it's a, it's a very different story. Um, my partner's over here. She's a US citizen, so it's, um, you know, my, my training setup's all around here, so it makes sense for me to stay. Um, would have loved to have got back to race a little bit um, throughout the Australian summer, but just with, you know, coming back and having to do a two-week quarantine and issues were coming back over, um, there was just too many sort of issues and buts throughout the whole thing. So we figured, look, I've got the qualifier now. Um, ran the data pick last year, which which doubled as a, the Olympic trials for that event. Um, so, yeah, so we just figured why, why sort of mess up a, a good routine that we've got going. Um, which I think might, you know, obviously shatters my parents' heart, but um, they're, they're very understanding of, you know, what I'm trying to do over here, and I think it's the best set up for me just to stay, stay local in the US. It's an extraordinary performance, the sacrifices that so many athletes make. It's inspiring, mate, and, and we appreciate your time. Can't wait to see you at the Olympics next year. No, of course, thanks, mate, and uh, yeah, appreciate you having me. Fighting week it has been for. A number of young footballers who will get to live their dream of becoming AFL footballers officially. One of those is our next guest. He's off to the West Coast Eagles, selected with pick 52 in the draft. Luke Edwards is his name. Luke, a massive congratulations. Thanks for your time. Nah, thank you. Thanks for having me, boys. It's a big move. How does it feel? Yeah, uh, it's pretty surreal at the moment. It probably hasn't really sunk in yet. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to get over. I'm not really sure when I can get over, get over with the borders closed over there, but, um, no, nah, I'm just super wrapped. I got an opportunity and I can't wait. I think it's Christmas Day. I think they officially announced yesterday. You're not going to leave Christmas Day. Nah, I think I'll, um, I think I'll leave probably early January and get over there, um, as soon as possible. Yeah, probably spend Christmas with, with the family and then, um, after that then shoot off. Well, look, uh, speaking of the family, take us through draft night. Obviously, we watched it all unfold uh, on TV. Uh, for those that had uh, Zoom cams and links and all those types of things, the moment when your name got called, what was it like and what was the reaction? Yeah, it was, um, I'm not going to lie. Everyone was pretty quiet during the whole draft night because we weren't sure what was going to happen if my name was going to get called out or not. Um, it sounded like it was like a dead morgue in there because everyone was so quiet <laughs> and so nervous. Uh, but then, yeah, once my name got called out, everyone jumped up and um, there was a few tears from, from mum and dad, which was um, pretty nice for them. But no, nah, yeah, everyone was super wrapped for me that finally got an opportunity and yeah, just just can't wait. How much of a surprise was it? Did you get uh, much of an indication from West Coast? Uh, they've been talking a little bit, but they don't really give much away. Um so, yeah, it was sort of, yeah, still a little bit surprised. I sort of knew that I was a little bit interested, but you just don't know on the night because with the live trading and all that sort of stuff going on, you just never know um, with the draft. So, 
yeah, I was just super great when they did call my name out. You've, you've always been open to a move, and you, you said that in the lead-up to the draft. That I'm not sure you expected it to be a, as big a move as this, but is it exciting for you, and do you think you know playing your footy in Perth will be, will be good for your development? Yeah, I think so. Um, sort of to get away from home, so not letting mum cook all my meals for me and doing all my washing, I think it will um, make me grow as a person. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I think it would be better for me if I... Um, move from Adelaide. Um, but yeah, just just can't wait to get over there and uh, give it a crack. How many clubs did you speak to? Um, I spoke to, spoke to a fair few leading up. Um, so yeah, I had a had a fair um, share talking to a few clubs, um, which was good. It's good for good experience as well. Um, doing those little Zoom meetings, um, I loved every minute of it. And yeah, lucky on West Coast. I was pretty good with West Coast and they were lucky enough to me up, but yeah. Luke Edwards joining us this morning. He's a West Coast eagle with pick 52 in Wednesday's draft. I mean, a lot's been spoken about the Adelaide situation and, and clearly um, because your dad is a legend there. They did speak about how difficult it was for the club to tell you that they wouldn't pursue the father-son. Can you take us back to that meeting with the Crows and your emotions living through that? Um, yeah, well, obviously disappointing. Um, can't follow in, in Dad's footsteps, but uh, that's the industry we live in. We've got to, they got to make some tough calls sometimes, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good. But no, nah, I'm just lucky enough that West Coast gave me an opportunity, and um, just got to sort of prove them wrong in a way. Um, yeah, and just take my opportunity when it comes. Is that a motivating factor? You mentioned there to, to prove them, them wrong. I mean, do you, is that in your back of your mind or you just, I suppose, go on a different journey now and not think about it? Uh, I'll obviously be always back in your mind, but, yeah, I'm just focused on um, West Coast at the moment and, and doing everything right for them. Um, they gave me an opportunity, so it's time to give it back to them. So, yeah, once I get over there, I'll, I'll get into the swing of things and, yeah, it'll be good fun. Spoke to uh, Tony Bamford, the South Australian um, talent guru, in the lead-up to the draft. He said perhaps you didn't have the year that you would have loved to have had this year with with your form. Is that fair, and, and why do you think that was the case? No, nah, that's pretty fair. I was pretty disappointed um, after the year. and um, so yeah, it was, I was a bit up and down. I started off slow, that's then finally um, was playing some good footy, but then I got a concussed. So I was out for a couple of weeks, which set me back mm. um, when I played my league debut. So, um, yeah, it was up and down, but, um, yeah, I've moved on from I've learned from it. Uh, I've been training hard with, with that and my younger brother, Brody, who we, we've been doing 6.30 running sessions, and he's been, you know, Darren Burgess Jr. He's got a whistle out. Um, <laughs> he's, he's acting all professional, but... No, anything good, um, but yeah. How old's Brody? No, nah, I've definitely learned from it, and yeah. But how old's the little brother, and is he someone we should be keeping an eye on as well? Uh, so he's 17 this year, 18 next year, so he's, he is next year. Um, he's playing footy down at Glenelgan under 18's program. Uh, but no, he, he could go all right if he, if he knuckles down a bit. He, he could be a good player, but yeah, it's up to him <laughs> if he wants to pursue this, this career. Yeah. Have you spoken to many of the Eagles boys? I mean, they've got some superstars on their list. Who's reached out and been in touch since Wednesday? Yeah, they've, they've been super. My phone hasn't been stopped like yesterday. Um, they've been messaging me. But nah, Luke Shuey gave me a call yesterday. Shannon Hearn also gave me a quick call. Um, the Gov 
that sent me a message. Um, no, nah, they've been ripper. Uh, I just can't wait to get over there and actually meet all the all the crew. Um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to that day. What sort of player are they getting, Luke? The Eagles. Um, I think sort of a versatile sort of player who's um, got good vision, clean hands, um, and can use his kick off off the half back or in the middle, mm. um, even up forward if they want to put me up forward. I'm sort of played everywhere this year, and I think that's a strength of mine. Um, I can go anywhere when needed. So, um, yeah, a, a versatile sort of player. Um, yeah, that loves his footy and just wants to win. Give us some insight into the couple of players the Crows selected. They had a heavy South Australian focus. Firstly, you played with and against Riley Philthorpe. What, what sort of player is he and have the Crows got a good one for Crows fans? Yeah, I love Riley. Uh, me and him have been always been pretty close uh, when it comes to when we've got state commitments and all the hub stuff. So, uh, yeah, I always thought that Crows should pick Riley. Um, he's a really good competitor. Um, even on a train track, he just wants to win, um, no matter what. If, it's, if we're playing basketball, um, he'll come off sweating bullets and want to win. Um, yeah, I love him. Um, it's good on him. He's, he's worked hard for this, um, and he deserves every bit of it, and hopefully he gets a good crack at the Crows next year. And the other one is teammate of yours at the Bays, Luke Pedler, somewhat of a surprise at pick 11. What sort of player is he? Yeah, he just he gives it a crack. Um, playing with him, he... He's the ball. You just let him do all the hard stuff and he'll feed it out to you on the outside. Um, yeah, I've played with him for a few years now. And I've loved playing with him. Um, he's a sort of X-factor sort of player. Um, and Coach should be really excited. Coach fans should be really excited about him um, and what he can do. Have you spoken to the likes of um, Shannon Hearn or anything like that? Yeah, so Shannon Hearn rang me yesterday. Uh, the SA boy. Um, so, yeah, he was wrapped up. Another SA boy could go down to Perth, um, which, which would be good. Uh, but, yeah, he just says, enjoy these couple of days. And if you can get over before Chrissy, then beautiful. But if not, then it doesn't matter. We'll, we'll still be here. And, um, yeah, just enjoy it. Enjoy this moment. Uh, it only comes around once a lifetime. So, yeah. What's that? Enjoy it, really. What's Adam Simpson like? Nah, I spoke to him briefly, and he seems a ripper. Um, he's... I think he's one of the rare coaches that just cares for his player, has good um, good people around him that can support him, um, and I just can't wait to um, play under him. Um, yeah, he's a ripper. Well, mate, we, we wish you all the best from an outstanding family, of course, and have loved your attitude into the lead-up uh, to the draft, and we'll follow you with interest, mate, and stay in touch if we can chat to you throughout your first season. We'd love that. Good luck, enjoy the Christmas, and then enjoy your first pre-season. Ah, beautiful. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.